To me, it's about kindness, generosity, and compassion. And we can all do that. You don't have to do the kind of work I'm doing or the yes. kind of work you're doing. We can right. all do that. It doesn't matter what field you're in. We can all do that and we should do that. And I think if we learn anything from the pandemic, it is that how we look out for each other and treat each other with kindness and compassion. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast designed to give you more joy, less fear, and no end to the evidence that a bright future is possible for us all. This podcast will give you a fresh perspective on the world around you. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress all around the globe that almost no one knows about. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, the place on the web to hear about insight and innovation going on celebrated with no politics <laughs> and no commercialism. We're just telling you what should be on the evening news there. I've all along the journey for Everwhiting Circles, we've been at this since 2014, I've been talking to thought leaders who are fundamentally creating a better world for us all. And I started recording these conversations back in October of 2020 so that we could share the kind of hope that I hear every day from people all around the world doing amazing things. So here we are today. Today, we're chatting with Mark Redmond. He's a thought leader in his 39th year of helping kids from very tough circumstances be successful despite the odds against them. Mark and I became friends when a mutual acquaintance introduced us, and I read the first chapter of a manuscript of the book that he's just published. I'm telling you, you want your faith restored in humanity and your windows of opportunity and possibility opened up, read Mark's book. He will, well, look, I got goosebumps. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on again. Mark was one of the very first people I interviewed back in October of 2020 before this book was even a thing. It was just words on a page, but now it's a real thing. And I am so glad to have you back. Mark, do a better job introducing yourself. Ah, Linda, it's great to see you. Thanks I'm, for having me back again. I love your podcast. I'm so, so yeah, glad. so I live in Vermont like you do, probably not far from you, actually. Yeah. I've been up here since 2003, serving as executive director of Spectrum Youth and Family Services. At Spectrum, we work with, as you say, young teenagers and young adults who are struggling. And they could be homeless, could be runaways, suffering from addiction, suffering from mental health difficulties. Maybe they were former gang members, kids who have committed a crime and they're in the criminal justice system, kids who are in the foster care system, unemployed, unemployed, high school dropouts. And as I tell people, usually a combination of, of some or maybe all of those things. And I've been inspecting for 18 years, but I've done this kind of work for 40 years. This June 20th will be my 40th anniversary. My family still thinks this is a phase I'm going through. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> they hope I'm going to snap out of it, you know, come back to my senses. I totally but, uh, know that feeling. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah. And then, uh, so I've been doing this kind of work and. I've written this book. You know, I've written a lot of columns. I've had columns published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Forbes. I had one prior book published in 2004, and I realized, I call this my pandemic book. <laughs> we were all, none of us could go to work. I thought, well, I'll work from home and I'll work on this book at the same time. 
So uh, it, it's self-published through <laughs> Onion River Press. And it, it, I'm very, very happy that this is coming out. I'm delighted that you want to talk to me about the book. Oh, it's such a, a wonderful emotional fullness that you get from this book. Because the number one thing that I took away, unlike all the world out there just driving away at the doom and gloom, your book helped me be able to hold some discouraging things that are happening mm. in the world in one hand and still, you know, feel like things could be bad, but getting better. I mean, the number one takeaway is how powerful we are to influence the lives of others, Mark. Well, good. I'm glad you got that out of the book. That was one of the main intentions, you know. I mean, the kind of work that I do and I've been doing for four decades, it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's so rewarding. You know, I have stacks of letters and emails from former youth who are doing well and from parents. But at the same time, Linda, and I write about this and you probably, you know, some really terrible things happen too. some tragic things, you know, there's a long line of young people I know have committed suicide, you know, kids who are now adults and they're in prison or they're in the adult mental health system. So Mm -hmm. not every case, if you go into this kind of work, you're not going to have a happy ending every time. But what I found is what you said, even, even when there's tragedy, you know, one of the stories I read about, as a young man who tragically took his own life. He, he wanted, he was homeless. We took him in. He wanted to join the Marines. He was determined to do that. He went to boot camp. Every, my father-in-law is a former Marine. I, I had everybody write to him. When he graduated from boot camp, every other kid there had a family member to go to graduation. He did not. So I paid for one of our staff to fly down to Quantico mm-hmm. and go to that. Mm-hmm. And I remember he called me, the boy called me, you know, and he was so grateful. And then everything fell apart after that. And yeah. and he came back to Burlington. He was discharged. I don't know why. And then I read the paper one night online and he took his life. And it was so, so sad. But I went to the wake and then I got a phone call. It was very strange. I got a phone call from a neighbor. And she said to me, you know, in the obituary, it said, leaves behind the loving family of blah, blah, blah. And she said, that was a lie. There really was never a loving family. If that boy had any loving family at all, it was you and your coworkers at Spectrum, you know? And it's funny, you go into our building here and we have pictures of youth, you know, that from years ago. And there's one picture of a group of boys having dinner together in one of our houses and they're laughing and smiling. And I stop and look because he's in that picture and he's got a big smile on our face and everybody else walks in. They just think it's a group of boys. There's only like two people who still work here, still remember him. But everybody else, it's just a picture of some kids. And I always think of what that neighbor said. And I think he did have a tragic ending, but he did know for one point in his life that he was loved, you know, and he was really cherished and honored and valued as a human being while he was here. So that means a lot to me, even though it was a terrible ending that was so sad. He did know for one period of life that he was loved. That means a lot to me. And this is such an important point, Mark. I, I talk to people all the time who, who are definitely feeling the impulse to do things for others, to do what they can do to make the world a better place, large and small, all the time. And the number one thing I tend to gravitate towards in conversation with people is that we should be super proud and super happy to just get people one yard down the field. You know, it's not like we can make a touchdown for others. We can't do that. 
the best we can be is be the coach from the sidelines, giving them plays for their playbook. That's a great way to put it. And you're, <laughs> it's iced by football high school. Yes. It's one yard at a time. Right. Games yeah. are won one yeah. yard right. at a time. Occasionally you throw a Hail Mary pass <laughs> and you win. But that's rare. That's rare. That's yeah. so rare. And a lot of people find it hard to get started in doing something good for others, whether it be volunteering for the Humane Society board or, or volunteering at the food shelf or helping an organization like yours, a lot of, or, or starting something out of the blue like I did and, and you did. It's hard to get started because you think, oh, you know, I'll never make a difference. I, I cannot do enough to help that thing. Right. But that's not the point. The point is that life is a game of inches. Yeah, it's true. I like that idea that you have to start. I'm mean, so I'll give you an example. Like you know, up near where you live, we've just opened a drop-in uh, center for young people in St. Albans. Now I've been talking about that for five years, you know, because we have two staff up there working with youth and foster care. They said there needs to be drop a drop-in center where kids, there's nothing, there's no boys and girls club. There's why you know. Yes. So I've been talking to my board. How do we do this? How do we do this? Do we have the money? Where can we raise the money? And find last summer, out of the blue, a donor called me. I was on vacation. He said, hey, my father wants to give money to three different nonprofits. You're on the list. What do you need money for? Uh, I said, we've been talking about St. Albans for years. He, so he said, I'll call you right back. He said, we'll give you 200000 So that gets us started. Lynn. You know what I mean? I went to our board director and said, look, I don't have enough. We two hundred thousand is great. It's so generous. It gets us through about a year and a half. I think we should make a three-year commitment. You know, and we'll figure it out. And and I'm I'm going to announce today at the uh, thing we just got a federal grant of three hundred thousand dollars. Oh so, my gosh! I can I tell know. this. This whole interview is going to be just one giant goosebump <laughs> after another. I've already yeah. had goosebumps three times talking to you, yeah. and we're just barely into this thing. Okay. So I want to rewind a little bit because we got to celebrate about five different things that you I know. About. There's a lot to celebrate. <laughs> this is so good. You know, okay, so I got introduced to Mark through a mutual friend who does a lot of good in, in her community. That's yes. her, her whole life yes. is devoted to making the world a better place. And she's doing that by just plugging in to different organizations and people. She's a connector, I would say. Wouldn't yes, agree? that's yeah. a good way to put it. She is. Yeah. But that's her gift. And that's the first thing I want people to, to take away from our conversation today is you've got a gift. Mm. You've got people skills or you've got some hobby that you know a lot about that could bring joy to others. Or you, you have some strength that is just waiting to be taught mm. to others, young people or old people or whatever. Each one of us has something that we can do. So she is a connector. There's no doubt about it. And look at what has happened since then. Because right. you and I just exploded into connection right yes. after that. And, you know, I, I'm a dentist, as you know, and I yes. spent all fall talking to people about you and our conversation and your plans for St. Albans, this, this walk-in center and so forth. And my gosh, <laughs> then March rolled around. Share with us how you generated this additional money, because I think that's an extraordinary story. So, I mean, you're right. So th this donor calls me and <laughs> says, my father's going to donate $200,000, you know. So I went to the board. And then there's another donor who, again, doesn't even live in your county, 
who a few years ago said, I think I want to help Spectrum help the kids in St. Albans who are homeless. I'll pledge $100,000 if you can raise it. So once we had the 200, I called her up and said, please send the donation. And then somebody from Peter Welch's office saw that we announced this on Facebook. And she said, do you know, there's this federal money. It's competitive. You have to apply for it. So we applied for that. We just found out we, we got that. So, I mean, it's okay. so interesting. And then my land is a company that's up there. They donated. Ben and Jerry's has a huge plant up there. Huge. They are helping us. So one thing leads to the other, right? And, you know, we still have a long way to go. I want to open up shelter beds. We have a drop-in center now. At some point, I want to open up beds, you know, Mm -hmm. which will cost more money. But there is a certain energy that you know about that gets generated once you start an idea and you really start talking about it and convince people, which isn't hard to do, of the value it just moves forward. And I've seen that dynamic and I knew of two multiple, multiple, multiple times, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, people say, how did you get into this whole storytelling thing? I had a one person show on Broadway and I'm like, you know how I got into it? I left a two minute phone message for the, for the moth in 2013 and didn't think anything about it. If you told me then, hey, this is going to lead to this, 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 and this, and you're going to be on Broadway and then have a book go out, I never would have believed you. But the two-minute message led led to all these other things. I'm glad I left the two-minute message. Okay, so, and this is the way it is. You know, I've been looking at how here on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, we can help people cope through this particular long slog of the pandemic. I mean, <laughs> this is, a, I remember oh. this time last year, I thought, oh, by September, we'll have this. Right. We, if we'd all known we would be sitting right where we are today. So, right. you know, trying to be useful and helpful always. I started this podcast with the intent of talking to thought leaders like you who are doing things to make the world a better place and how your vision of what's possible And the things you've learned through the process can help us in some practical way. If it's only inspiration, great. But what you just told me is that, you know, every journey of some imaginable magnitude started with one simple move. It's true. It's really true. You know, and I have... We hired a new development staff yesterday and, you know, he said, wow, you have all these wealthy people in Vermont who are donating to Spectrum. How did you do it? And I said, I came up here. I was from Connecticut. You know, I was work. I knew nobody. And I said, I was walking into Halverson's early on to go to lunch. And I see this guy walk out the door. And I thought, I worked with him in New York City in 1979 for an insurance company. So I ran out onto this church street and I yelled, Jeff, Jeff Norris. And he wheels around and he goes, who are you? And how do you know my name? I said, we worked together 30 some years ago. So we shook hands and uh, he had just moved up here himself and he was working for a big investment firm. We had lunch a week later. And he said, I want you to meet Rob Miller. Rob Miller worked for Howard Dean. He was developer, you know, head of economic development. So I met with Rob Miller and I said, who are the people I need to know, you know? And he listed off 15 names. And I just went through, I still have the list. It's a handwritten list somewhere. And then I just went through that list, calling these people. I'm new. I've taken over this organization. We need a lot of help. I mean, back then we were scraping by. Every payroll was like, are we going to make it, you know? Yeah. And our houses were yucky and we needed new furniture, you know. 
Yeah. But I can tell you, every one of those people, and at the end of the conversation, I would say, thank you for your time. Who do you think I should meet next? You know? And everybody always said, oh, go meet this person. I'll set this up. So, you know, now we're, we, we've that first year we raised $49,000 in donations. This year we're going to raise over $3 million. Oh, so, wow. yeah, I mean, it's just now it's been an 18 year, but the trajectory has been up and up. And and it's not it's great. We've been able to do that. But that has allowed us to do so many more things. I mean, mm-hmm. St. Albans is just the latest thing, Linda, but we have expanded and are helping so many more young people than ever before, which is the whole idea. It's nice to raise the money, but it's all about what, what you do with that and to create a better world. This is it. I mean, OK, so. That's the thing is that most of us have, well, I think one of the things that I learned, I know so many patients have expressed this to me. One of the things that we learned with the pandemic that could be a good outcome, sort of there's so much tragedy from the pandemic, but if we look for the opportunity and disaster, we will find it. And one mm-hmm. of the things I'm noticing is that it got us off our treadmills, our constant sort of mindless routines every day, right. and it slowed us down. And we started deciding that some of our priorities before the pandemic were not that not yeah, that good. <laughs> right. We started prioritizing others. And I noticed that a lot of people with a little bit more time and a slower lifestyle started following these impulses to help others, even if it was checking on a neighbor that was older. Have you seen any of this play out in the pandemic for, for your organization? We've definitely seen that, you know, people, it's, it's been really hard. We have a big mentoring program. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do mentoring over zoom. Maybe if you knew the young person before you could do it, it's hard Mm -hmm. to start a mentoring relationship by zoom. Yeah. But people have come through for, I mean, just like even people want to give to something that works and is effective. So we, so the sleep out. Okay. So the sleep out, you've heard about that. We have all these people, we've been doing this for 10 years and, you know, we have everybody sleep. On the, in the snow, in a park in downtown Burlington. We were going to do it up by you in Taylor Park, but of course we couldn't do it. So I thought, well, we'll ask people to sleep in their backyard. But how effective is that going to be? Linda, we had more people than ever doing the sleep out in their backyard than ever before. And this is March in Vermont. Oh, yeah. We do it when it's cold. When yeah. we first started, my staff wanted the spring. I'm like, we are not doing this. Yeah. We are doing it in March. So, now, people... <laughs> People all over the world listen to this podcast and they have to appreciate that in March. Oh, it's cold. That was March. What was it like? March 15th? That's usually like the last Thursday in March. Yeah. We still had a foot and a half of snow. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you're out there. It's snow. This is not Florida or Virginia even. I know. And people did it. And you guys. More people than ever did it. We raised more money than ever. More people did it. It was crazy. You know, and they did it with their kids and they did it with they their, did. They did. With their and, pod. and they woke up and the, we had a giant Zoom session in the morning and people told they were in their tents and they were Zooming and it was it was really moving, you know, but then people have helped in other ways. I get, you know, one of the people I asked to look at my book, he's a wonderful author, Stephen Kiernan. He's a novelist in Vermont. And he looked at the book and he gave me he liked it and wrote a little blurb for the back. And then he called me like two weeks ago. I said, I have a neighbor. She has an idea for a spectrum. So, all right. So I told this woman said, hey, I moved up here from Long Island years ago and I taught myself computers, how to set up computers. So I have this little business where I go around. It's mostly elderly people. They get a printer. They don't know how to install it. They need to upgrade their operating system. They don't know how to do that. She goes, but I'm ready to retire. I will teach 
one or more of your youth at Spectrum how to do this. And I'll give them my customer list and they can take. So this, I call this young woman. I know her very well. My wife and I took a, a, a immigrant family in, a new American family leaving the war-torn Somalia 14 years ago. And the little girl who was five then is, she's 21 now. And, and no, she was seven. She's 21. Very good on computers. High school graduate. I said to her, why don't you, this woman will teach you. So they're meeting this week. <laughs> she may train her. So, I mean, it's just another example. That woman didn't have to do that. But I think she talked to Stephen Kiernan. Stephen Kiernan said, oh, let me put you in touch with Park and Spectrum. And if it doesn't work out with this young woman, I'll find somebody else. But I mean, I'm seeing somebody came to see me the other day. Remember, there's a, if you ever go to Waterbury, Waterbury, there's the big Green Mountain Coffee Roaster plant. Yeah. Right in front of it is a little cafe. I didn't realize it's closed down. This fellow said, I own a coffee company. I will supply the machines, the coffee, everything. I want Spectrum and your kids to reopen that cafe and run that cafe as a business. I don't know if we're going to do it. We might. But I mean, there's people do want to help. People do want to. And people come from all walks of life. And when they see an organization like ours that can act is making a difference, they want to plug into that and make a difference, too. I see that over and over again. It's amazing. So this is the spectrum. Yeah, that's our name. There you go. That's how we got our name. Perfect. This is the spectrum of how people can make the world a better place. Sure. I mean, it's everywhere. It's it's everything from giving money that is without any attachments, like right. youth spectrum, spend it in the best way you know how, to contributing to a specific project that that really it mean is meaningful to people, to sleeping out in your backyard and teaching your kids right. the value of all the teachable moments around that are extraordinary. Yes. around that that particular yes. thing but this you know someone who's ready to retire passing right. off something that promising to right. a young person wow and that back to our football analogy right. is like offering someone a play for their playbook that could get them oh. another first down yeah that's no that's big i mean that's, that's something and the coffee thing might work out too and you know we have i we've talked before we have a detail shop we started a detail business and where we hire kids and teach them how to detail cars, you know? Wow, I so, didn't know that. In fact, I know a young man who's going to be interviewing for that this week. So, yeah, all of these different ways we can connect. And you're right, people from all different walks. Like, this fellow knows coffee. <laughs> he knows the coffee business. I don't know anything about coffee. Yeah. I love coffee. But he, he wants to help. He wants to use, so people can use their expertise right. in such a variety of ways, you know? Right. You don't well, have to do what I did and completely change the path you're on. You know, right. you, you can stay that the path you're on, but use that uh, to help others. Well, we should talk at least for a moment about the path you're on, just so yes. people have some context for how you came to be here. Tell right. people about your path. So I always think, you know, people who run places like Spectrum, you know, if you ask, you know, why are you doing this work? They'll, they'll either tell you, hey, you know, I grew up in this really rough family and I suffered from addiction and I was a runaway and I was in prison and then I got better. And, you know, and that is not my story at all. Or you know, I grew up in this really nice middle class family on Long Island. Uh, my dad uh, went to school at college at night. He grew up in poverty, went to school at night on the GI Bill and managed to send all five of his kids to private universities, no loans, you know. Very nice upbringing. So I'm not a former prisoner. <laughs> <or a camper. laughs> so when I was a senior in high school, 
I got turned down from Yale, Princeton, Brown, Dartmouth, Williams, and Hamilton. So my backup school was Villanova. And uh, so when I had to send in the first, my parents had to send in the first check, which of course is a fraction of what it is today. I'd have thought a form. It said, pick one box. It said business, arts and sciences, nursing, and engineering. So I turned to my dad. I said, hey, which box should I check? He said, well, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I don't know. I'm 17. I don't have a clue. So he said, well, put down business. Everybody studies the same stuff anyway. Right. Because he worked in business. He was a very successful commercial real estate broker. So anyway, that's what I did. I studied business. And a couple of things happened that were important my, my senior year. But I eventually ended up in this great job on Madison Avenue. You know, I had the suits and the ties and a car and a studio apartment on the Upper East Side with a balcony and a barbecue and I'd have parties, you know. And I heard about this place, Covenant House, which was in Times Square. Times Square today is really like Disney and Hard Rock Cafe. It was not like that in 1981. In fact, that was the year Rolling Stone magazine declared it the sleaziest block in America. It was really dangerous. It was the center of prostitution, pornography, crime. And that's where homeless kids were. So I started volunteering there. I thought, I'll just go there one night a week and hand out brownies and play basketball. But over time... I began to realize, you know what, this is what I really want to do with my life. And I remember going back, I was in this training program, we were supposed to be the future, you know, presidents of this company, it was a multi billion dollar company. And I remember going to a meeting and the senior vice president said, we're now at, I don't know what the number was, 50 billion in assets. And our goal is to get to 70 billion in assets by the end of the decade. And that's what you all have to, that's the goal. That's what you all have to focus on. And I remember thinking, that's not my goal. You know, that's I'm not saying it's wrong or it's evil or I'm just saying that's not what I want to make as my goal. So to my uh, friend's chagrin, I gave up the job. I gave somebody got my car. I think it was my brother gave up the apartment, gave up all the suits. And I moved into this hovel of a room that had roaches. <laughs> <laughs> not even an apartment, a room across from a crack house in a strip club and just started working with homeless teenagers. And June 20th will be the, the 40th year since I, I did that, you know. And um, then I had to learn, right? I had to learn, you know. I, it was a complete switch, you know. I never had any kind of contact with kids like this, so I really had to learn. But that's how it began. So, it's a good, I do, and I, you know, I had to give the convocation address to the incoming freshman at Champlain College, and I said, you should pay attention to what you're curious about, you know, you should pay attention to something that sparks your interest, you know, no matter what it is, and, and, and you know, it's kind of a, people will disagree with me, and I have a boy going to college next year myself, you know, but I'm telling him, I think you should really try and find out what is your passion in life, what is it you really want to do? you know, and follow that because that's what I did. And it, and it worked out really well for me, you know? Well, you know, one of the things that I love about your story is something that comes through for most of the people that I interview on the, on the podcast is this element of curiosity. Almost every single person makes a comment like you just did. Interesting. You, you said, and I wrote it down, pay attention to what you're curious about. Right. Almost everyone. I was interviewing this, that. Okay. Mark, do you remember when plastic straws became pl- public enemy number one? It was yeah, right. 2015. 
So I have this great interview with Nathan Robinson. He was the scientist who took that famous video. Mm. He was um, out in the ocean studying sea turtles and the the bits of life that live on sea turtles. So they had the sea turtle up in the boat and they could see this white thing sticking out of its nose and they thought it was a tube worm. So they start pulling on it and out it comes a drinking straw. Oh, geez. Wow. And, you know, we had the nicest conversation in that podcast about curiosity and about what comes next. And, you know, we could have spent the whole thing, the whole episode talking about garbage and in the ocean and plastic trash, but we, we barely even spoke about that. Mm. He is just such a naturally curious person that right. we just rolled from one subject of wonder to another, to another. He did nothing to promote that whole anti-straw movement, but it's spread around the world. And he's pretty sure there's over 10,000 organizations after that video that sprang up to limit the use of single-use plastics. Right, right. Back to our our notion about, you know, he he just said, oh, this is not a tube room. Get the iPhone. Let's film this. As soon as he realized. Now, that that video has had 78 million views. Are you? Wow. And it's fundamentally changed the future of our plastic use all by this this one little moment where he he went went the extra mile for about two minutes. Right. Right. Saying, ah, somebody get a phone. This is. This is well, I think it's, I think you're right, especially with think how social media has changed things. Think how YouTube has changed, you know, and there's some good and some bad, but there's a lot of good, too. I mean, it's brought things to the fore, a lot of injustices, things that could be improvements that we need. You're right. So, yeah, so give him a lot of credit. Turning, and you know, he had nothing to do with all these programs that he just posted the video. So sometimes if you're just that one cog in the process. Yes. Like yes. we said, we you don't have to only start if you can make a touchdown for others. Right. But you can do that one thing. Right. Well, it's funny. One of the things I write in the book is, and some people disagree with me, but, you know, I was early in Vermont. My son was, other son was looking in colleges. We went down, we looked at Middlebury, which is gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, ski slope, golf course, you know, cafeteria looks like the nicest restaurant in Vermont. And, uh, Right after that, somebody donated $50 million to Middlebury, and then somebody donated $10 million. And I was just like, gosh, I mean, uh-huh. right? I mean, I'm, you know, it's a good school and all, but man, here we are at Spectrum. We had no money. Our houses were falling apart, you know. So anyway, I wrote, I said to my wife, somebody should write about that. She said, you should write, why don't you write about it? You're a good writer. So I thought, yeah, let me write about that. So I just blindly sent it to the free press. Just, I didn't even know if they'd run it. And they ran it. I walked down Church Street. I was like a rock star. Everybody was stopping me. Everybody. One of the wealthiest people in Vermont emailed me. I read your column. I want to meet with you tomorrow. And he wrote us a check for $25,000. You know, like, so my wife said, you had a nerve. So you know what I did? I remember there was a Borders back then on Church Street. I went into Borders on a Friday afternoon. It was rainy. Went to the business section. I pulled out Forbes, Fortune, Cranes. I pulled all the business, laid them all out. And I looked at them and I said, huh, Forbes has got a uh, con- like an opinion column. I went back to my desk, Forbes.com, contact us, paste it in the column, hit send. Somebody from Forbes called me. That was Friday afternoon. Somebody called me Monday afternoon. I'm a uh, editor at Forbes. We got your email. I'm sending a photographer up to your city tomorrow. And we're going to run this in our next issue. Do you know 
Can you believe that? Can you? So like that one little, you know, reading that thing and thinking, what? Come on, 50 million to a place that already has an endowment of almost a billion. And, and Spectrum is just one of many organizations that are really helping people who are really, you know, hurting. And, you know, we're just one. But I mean, I always, and so that just blossomed. It just, and then this is funny. My grand, wife's grandfather was like 96 at the time. He said, you should send that column to Warren Buffett. I was like, granddad, Warren Buffett, he's got six layers of secretaries to protect them against people like me. I did it anyway. Warren Buffett wrote back to me. <laughs> okay. Now, and everyone. Then, <laughs> and then a year later, the same grandfather says, hey. You're, da- you're married to one of my granddaughters. One of my other granddaughters is dating Warren Buffett's sister's grandson. So she put me in touch with Warren Buffett's sister, and she's the one who pays for, we have a warming shelter in the winter in a church hall. Mrs. Buffett's paying for that. I mean, but it was because of the one idea I had, the one column, you know what I mean? Okay, so <laughs> this is how it works. I mean, yes. anyone listening to this, now I'm on my about my fifth set of goosebumps. <laughs> this is the way it works. Yes. When we get on it. When we take those first steps, you didn't turn yourself inside out. This wasn't weeks right. and months worth of work. You just no. poured your heart, I'm yep. sure, and your logic and your wisdom of experience into this article. And this it is took what- off. It took off from there. And my yeah. grandma, he's passed away. He made it to 103, my wife's grandfather. Wow. He, was, he worked for J. Edgar Hoover. He was a former FBI agent. Wow. But I mean, you know, it was listening to him. At first I was like, what? But hey, these things, right? Sometimes that's a Hail Mary. That was a Hail Mary. Was a Hail Back Mary. to the football. That was a Hail Mary. <laughs> yes. And, you know, but it's and it takes courage to do that, right? Yeah, it does. You were it telling does. yourself a story about how no one would read it or there was six layers of secretaries or gosh knows all the stories you could have listened to that you were right. telling yourself. Right. But oh, a yeah. Hail Mary takes courage. Right. So try it, you know, it yes. may, they may drop the pass or you may okay. throw or, or but maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, so, I, you know. I, we just put my daughter, Liesl, in for an award as a social innovator. And we, it took a long time and it was very taxing to fill out all this, this stuff, this information they wanted to know. And, you know, I, I found myself turning to my secretary and saying, you know, you can't hit a home run if you don't, if you don't ever swing. <laughs> right. Or even get up to the plate. Yeah. So we just plowed on seven hours into the social innovation summit that's coming up. And they were looking for young, I'm not, I'm assuming young people that are doing good in the world. Right. So, okay. So we're going to take a break on that subject. And I'm going to talk in in the break here about this amazing thing that we've created for innovators all over the world who are feeling alone. You and I have had many sleepless nights where we felt like a lone voice in the darkness. Mm. Sure. I mean, this is the, the, the common theme that runs through almost all the, the social innovators that we write about on Everwinding Circles, is that each one of us seems to be like a little point of brightness in a vast darkness. And we recognize that most of us share the same troubles, the same, fi- how do we finance this? How do we, 
how do we get to that next level and provide that next cool thing that we know would do so many people so good? How do we get a website built? How do we find a trademark lawyer that's not going to rip us off? All the things, right? right? (laughs) So we have created the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. Hmm. It's it's kind of a cross between social media and a platform for personal and professional growth for people who are wanting to make the world a better place. It's great. Everything from volunteers to learners to to founders. So we're take a break and we come back. We'll pick it up right where we left off. Sounds good. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world and becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all. People like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. And Mark, I do want to pick it up right where we left off. Okay, so we've woven this football theme through through our conversation. Uh, you started it. You started the football theme. <laughs> I don't know why that is. My husband and our whole family are <laughs> basketball players. But it seems to be an analogy that we can consider in these days when it seems like we can't do enough. It seems like I don't know about you, but there are days when I just feel like I just am stamping out fires every day and I never get to the real meat of what I know needs to be, get done. Tell me what you've learned. You know, I think that we can all learn from each other, of course, but there's probably some really fundamental coping skills that most of us either can a good takeaway message from the youth that you've chatted with or that we can offer to others. Like, tell me about that, about that whole world of coping skills and what you found useful. You know, the youth, many of the youth we've worked with have suffered from trauma. You know, they've suffered really terrible things. You know, I'm funny. I'm executive director. I make, I I go over and make dinner for them once a month, you know, so I'm connected to them. And I'm going up next week to make dinner for the St. Albans kids too, you know. 
but you do see, you know, once you get to know these kids a bit, you really learn, you know, wow, they've been through some really horrendous, horrendous experiences, mm-hmm. you know, and they still trust and they still hope, right? It's hard for them to trust. I always remember this is when I worked in Brooklyn with homeless kids. And I'll never forget. I talked to this boy and I said, how do you like your new social worker? And he said, oh, he's great. I like him a lot. Then I said, oh, that's good. Can you trust him? And he said, oh, no, I can't trust him. After everything adults have done to us, we can't trust anybody, you know? So I always remembered that, like, that's, and there was a professor from Columbia who trained me and others. He since passed away. And he was like, these kids wear a very hard protective shell. And your job is to somehow, through kindness and compassion, drill through that shell to get to the person underneath, you know? And I remember another worker who I admired a lot said, you know how when you and I walk through a tough neighborhood, we have that swagger that's like, don't mess with me. He goes, these kids wear that all the time, you know? They don't know how to take that off because they've been so hurt and so mistreated, you know, through their childhood. So that's hard, Linda, you know, that's really hard. You know, it's not the kind of way my son has grown up or, you know, but if you grew up in an environment of alcoholism, domestic abuse, domestic, you know, it, it, whew, that's, it's really hard to trust anybody, you know? So when you oh. cook these meals and yes. you provide these opportunities for kids to have real positive interactions and all that, tell me about how that rebuilds somebody or, or can it ever or or does it at least rebuild or build another view of, of it others? It does. In fact, last time I was over there, I could hear the kids asking the staff that they knew, like, who is who is that guy? Who, who's that guy in the kitchen there? And they said, oh, he's the, bo- he's the big boss. He, he's like the boss. Is, you know, it was really funny, you know. And I think they're moved by that, that somebody who's an executive director, you know, is actually in there and sitting down and having dinner, lunch with them and dinner and made a nice dinner. And, you know, and I try and make food means a lot. I've learned that in 40 years. Food means a lot. You know, like tonight I'm meeting with we work with more and more new American youth and yeah. a meeting with a group of them tonight at six o'clock. I said to the staff, what can what can I bring? Should I bring ice cream? She said, no, bring samosas. Well, I don't know how to make samosas. <laughs> I'm going to go and buy them. Yeah. But I mean, I think food is such an important part of any family. Like in my house, you know, my wife is busy. She's in the legislature. Our son is in I. We make sure to have dinner every night. I mean, I wouldn't even say six out of seven. I'd say seven out of seven, you know? Really? And, you really? know, she may have a Zoom call after that, or I may have to do something. But at least we're together, you know, yeah. for dinner. And so I think with these kids, too, that's that stuff's really important. Those kind of routines, the same professor in Columbia, I remember you say to me, routines are important because routines mean safety, you know, and these kids have grown up in very unsafe environments, you know. Right. So rituals, things you do together, holidays, these are all very, very important. And if you say this is so important, if you say you're going to do something, you have to follow through. It would be very bad tonight if I didn't go and buy those samosas and show up because I've told that staff member who's probably told those kids, Mr. Redmond's coming by, you know, so I have to do this. I don't really want to do it. I'd rather be at home, but I'm going to do it because following through is so, so important. That's such a great way to live in the world, period, right? It is. 
is yes. not to overpromise, but to exceed people's expectations. Right. Don't overpromise and then underdeliver. Right. You know, family, you shouldn't do it. Parents shouldn't do that. An executive director, politician shouldn't do that. You should not overpromise and underdeliver. You know? Yeah, because, you know, for most of us, the life's simple pleasures are the best. It's true. It's really true. Oh, I always think I took a group of kids. This is when I work with the kids in Westchester, and they'd all grown up in poverty. And there was a girl who was threatened to commit suicide, and she ran down in the train tracks. It was the middle of the winter. I ran after, and all these boys came down and helped me get her. So I said, that night, I was like, how do I help reward these kids, you know? So it was a little restaurant in Dobbs Ferry. It was like a TGI Fridays. It was not like a... So I called that. I said, reserve a table for 12. So I said to the boys, get in the van. Come on. So we pull into the restaurant. We go into the restaurant, and they see the table set up. And this boy turned to me and said... Is that for us? Did you? Is this for us, Mr. Redman? It was just like a little TGI. So I said, yeah. So we sit down and one of them says, what's the limit? I said, what do you mean? What's the limit? What's the most we can, what dollar amount are we allowed to order up to? You know, because they had grown up in institute. I said, get what you want. Order what you want. <laughs> and boy goes, this is like the Super Bowl of food. <laughs> So listen, so then they order. I wasn't paying attention to ordering. The waitress finally comes by and she's putting two platters in front of each kid. And I'm like, what the heck? So what do they do? What do you do when you go to McDonald's and you're a teenager? You order two hamburgers. They didn't realize in like a real restaurant, you don't order 200. So they all ordered like double. You know what I mean? It was yeah. so... But they, they, this was a new thing. Going to a, just a restaurant like that for them was, you know. But, oh, that's all they talked about forever, forever. You know, and I made little honor certificates, you know, honoring them for rescuing this young woman, you know. So, but I mean, again, it was a simple thing. How often do you and I go to like a little TGI front? Right. You know, it's a big yes. deal. It's not a big deal. But to these kids, it was it was huge. You it know, huge. they probably remember it today, you know. Yes. And they, what they probably remember too, is just that sense of abundance rather than always living in scarcity, our moments where we feel abundance in, in the goodness of the people we're surrounded by, or, uh, you know, the starry sky can give us a feeling of abundance, you know, that (laughs) everyone needs that. No, it's really true. Everybody does need that, you know? Yeah. And it's something so easy to do for others, you know? I think oh, that's it's, it's so yeah, that's what people are tapping into when you know you buy a cup of coffee for the person behind you in line. It's that momentary yeah, feel of abundance and possibility. Right. I took a group of kids once skiing. Now, how often do you want I don't know if you ski? I ski, Livermore, everybody skis, you know, right? It's a nice thing to do. I took yes. a group of boys, they're all inner city kids, drove them up to Syracuse, New York. We skied. And my friend took them in to get stuff and they blew all the money on hats and gloves. So like that night I was like, we're not going back to that mountain tomorrow. I am here. I was so mad at them. And this one boy, he didn't say it to manipulate me. And this is a kid who really suffered in life, you know, had been abandoned by his family. And he turned, I was going to the men's room or something. We were watching TV and he said, you know, today was the most fun I ever had. And I turned around, I said, you mean since you've been on our program, like in the last year, right? He goes, no, in my life, this was the most fun I ever had in my life. And I just, then and there, I turned to the two other adults and I said, we're going, we're going back to the mountain tomorrow. 
They said, we thought you were mad at them. I said, one of those boys just told me this is the most fun he ever had in his life. We're going back. <laughs> so, but I mean, think about that, Linda. Think about that. One day in the slopes was the best day in his life. And I don't think, I know he wasn't lying. I know he meant it, you know? And how many other kids did you provide that same moment for that didn't tell you? That's true. Yeah, none of those old, though. I will never forget. That boy left. The other boys left. One of them passed away, was killed in some kind of inner city violence, which was really sad. And uh, but that same boy, he called, he left and he called me a year later. Mr. Redmond, I know I don't live at St. Christopher's anymore, but if you go skiing again this winter, can I go? Holy. And okay. we didn't go. We didn't go. We didn't go. You know, and I, I think about him and hope he's I hope he's, you know, it's years later. It's like 26 years later. I hope he's doing well. But, you know. Well, and, uh, but again, you provided a moment of wonder and joy for one person. And as you said about our opening story, you know, that kid knew that took his own life. He knew for at least a, a number of moments in his life that he was cared and that people cared for him. That's right. And that's none right. of us know how long we're, we have in this world. No, none no. of us know. I know. So if we can, you know, so if, if we can provide a moment of joy and wonder for others, small or large, and we just propagate that daily in our right. lives. That's right. You have no idea what kind of a wake you're leaving. It's true. Yeah. To me, it's about kindness, yes. and generosity, and compassion. And we can all do that. You don't have to do the kind of work I'm doing or the yes. kind of work you're doing. You, we right. can all do that. It doesn't matter what field you're in. We can all do that, and, and we should yeah. do that. And I think if we learn anything from the pandemic, I hope we learn a lot of things from the pandemic, you know, but it is that how we look out for each other, you know? and treat each other with kindness and, and compassion. You know, that could be, be one of the long lasting lessons. You know, one of the things that I like to say, I, I've just done second TEDx talk called The Power of the Pause. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure you and I could go on about- Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to pull that. I'm going to Google that one. Uh, it's, let's talk about, I want to have you back another day because yeah. I've still got five other questions that we never got to. <laughs> and you're such a fabulous storyteller. We could, we could laugh our way all the way through this spectrum of sadness go. for the world, right. all the way to the joy of realizing, which is what you teach me every time I talk to you, you teach me how powerful I am to improve the lives of others, even That's in great. small ways. That's wonderful. So yeah. I just want to say one last, yeah, so the, just back to the book for one second. Well, that's no, what I was going to ask you about. Yes. Tell me everything you want to tell me to get people to connect with your your movement, your book. Sure. Your so, you know, a very simple title called Mark Redman called memoir. And, you know, it's on Amazon. It's on all that. I'm encouraging people to uh, I published it. self-publishing through Phoenix Books. So there, you know, this Phoenix Bookstore in Burlington and Essex, and they have online, you go online, Phoenix Books, it'll be right there. I would love for it. I recorded an audio version, so it's yeah. on, you know, Audible, everything else. People like to read books listening to them. It's in on the e-version. So if you Google it or markredmanbooks.com, you know, Mark with a K, markredmanbooks.com. I have a new website and it's on there too. So 
We're going to give links to all your, your world Good. down in the show notes. Great. And so we will, we will be sure to send people in as many directions as possible. So people can plug in in lots of places. I'll tell you, I have this thought that I want to share with people. Your book is an excellent listening book for walks. Oh, good. That's oh. good to hear. Oh, That's people are walking hear. more than ever. Man, okay. get the audio book. If Mar- I was wondering if you had one because that I I had to record mine twice. Oh, it was yeah. Such a project. Oh, <laughs> it was it was a lot of work. <laughs> it's a project, isn't it? <laughs> to do it right. To do it right is a lot of work. I yeah. know, I know. Yeah. So Mark's book is an amazing book to listen to if you're a walker. Just plug that thing in. You're gonna hear <laughs> stories, you're gonna have hope, you're gonna he's gonna take you high, low, sideways. But mostly that book makes you feel like anything's possible. Like mm-hmm. you can influence the future of others. And and that is so empowering in these times. It's good to hear. That was the idea. That was yeah. the idea, you know? It's yeah. funny. I had a I met an agent like eight years ago and he, he said, if you're gonna write a book, it's a book that scratches an itch. What's the itch in society? And I had that on a, a little post-it thing on my computer screen for years. Write a book that scratches an itch, you know. So I hope. I hope this book scratches the itch we got right now. Oh, I tell you, we're we're gonna turn a lot of people onto your work and 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 perhaps inspire them to take some role in it. But that's the first thing to do is is get the book. It's called Called. That's right. One word called. I wanted one word. Yeah. I sent a bunch of people read and I said, there's some various titles. And everybody was like, no, that's the title. That's the title. That's the title. It really is. So, Mark, thank you so much for being on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast today. For more information about all of Mark's work, it's going to be in the show notes. You'll find it there. As always, dive into ever-widening circles by visiting us at ewc.co, everwideningcircles.com. This is where stories of people like Mark, thousands of them, live to inspire and teach us how we can also make the world a better place. And subscribe to the Ever Widening Circles app. That is like the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand. So have a great day, Mark. I I do wanna finish up by saying this youth drop-in center has just opened. And today is kind of their grand opening. I'm gonna make sure to be a part of that today. And I can't thank you enough from all of us in, in this little town and for all the lives you've touched. Thank you. You're very welcome. And thanks for having me back in your podcast. It was delightful as always. All right. Have a great day. Okay. I hope uh, everyone's connections to goodness and progress that we've found today carry you through your week and check out uh, my other guests. Uh, I finish these podcasts most of the time and I've smiled so much that my face hurts. <laughs> have a great day.